0: Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentiful. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise be to you, Lord Lord Christ. Christ.
1: And again. Good morning. Welcome to All Saints. We're so glad you're here with us to worship the living God. Would you join me in prayer? Father, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Would you make my words in the meditation of all of our hearts pleasing in your sight this morning? O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer, through Christ we pray. Amen. Well, this morning marks the seventh week of our Capital Campaign Sermon Series, where we're looking at the parables of Jesus to see how he would want all saints envisioned as we go forward in ministry to witness and to bless. Now, if you're a first time visitor here this morning, congratulations, you timed it just right. Because I drew the straw to preach on the only one of our parables that speaks directly about money. I'll let you decide whether it's the short or the long straw, because it is one of the topics that Jesus talks about more than any other in his ministry. Last week we looked at the parable of the sower from Luke chapter 8 who sows the seed of God's word into different soils representing our hearts and the different obstacles that keep God's word from bearing fruit in our lives. Tim kept asking us, which soil are you? When we came to the third heart soil, God's word got choked out by thorns. Jesus calls, quote, the cares, riches, and pleasures of life. It's this obstacle that Jesus addresses more fully in today's parable of the rich fool from Luke chapter 12, our gospel reading. It's prompted by an apparent younger brother in the crowd who yells out to Jesus in the midst of his public preaching, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. In the ancient Near East, it was customary for the firstborn son to inherit two-thirds of the family assets. Now, I know some of you firstborn sons are saying, ah, the good old days, right? Often he would also get to decide how or whether to distribute the remainder to anyone else in the family. Perhaps you know of such family disputes today. The Episcopal Priest John Claypool tells the true story of a bank president in a small town in Tennessee who died leaving two sons. Unlike the prodigal son parable, the younger was the straight arrow and the older was the 'er ne'er-do-well. When they were alone together in the funeral parlor with their father's corpse, the older said, money meant more to our father than anything else don't you think it would be appropriate tribute to him for each of us to put $1,000 in his hands and let it be buried with him? The younger brother readily agreed and headed straight to the bank to get 10 crisp $100 bills, which he lovingly placed in his father's hand. Later that night, when no one was looking, the older brother returned, placed a $2,000 check in his father's other hand and promptly grabbed the cash centuries and cultures apart, but the same relational disputes, the same relational dynamics in which Jesus is being asked to intervene. Instead, Jesus, our great physician, goes to the root of the problem. He warns us against a pervasive human pandemic that most of us have, but have, but we don't realize we have it. He illustrates the problem with today's parable. And in the parable, he asks us this question, how is your health? Particularly, how is your money health? And so, two points, the disease and the cure. First, the disease and its symptoms. Jesus says in verse 15, To beware of the spiritual disease of covetousness or greed, as other popular English versions translate it. Money sickness. Guard yourself because there are lots of different strains and it's found in every economic class. Here, the older brother's greed is grasping at what he has, while the younger brother covets what he's convinced he deserves money sickness can make you peer up the economic ladder with bitter envy or down the economic ladder with disdain. And that's what our Old Testament passage from Deuteronomy Deuteronomy chapter 8 is warning us against. Beware that in your plenty, you don't become proud and forget the Lord. Never think that it was your own strength and energy that made you wealthy. Jesus is asking us this morning, how is your money health? Part of the nature of this disease is it hides itself from us, so we don't know we have it. Last week, I learned that my college friend had put off for years what men over 50 should do, get their PSA level, tested for early detection of prostate cancer. After 60, when he finally got tested, instead of a good score under four, his score was a thousand. Cancer all over his body. Please pray for him. He's fighting for his life. In the same way, we can be living with money sickness and not even realize it. In over 25 years of vocational and pastoral ministry, I have done a lot of counseling. People have come to me asking for help with anger, adultery, lust, lying, pride, etc., but never greed. Tim Keller says that when he did a series of talks on the seven deadly sins, the least attended talk was the one on greed. Most of us. Don't realize we're struggling with it. And we also don't see ourselves as rich. You've probably seen the headlines. According to a 2018 Lending Tree report, Austin is the Texas city with the most million dollar homes, followed by Houston and then Dallas. And according to Elon Musk on Joe Rogan's podcast, earlier this year, Austin's going to be the biggest boomtown that America has seen in 50 years at least, mega boom. Every boomtown needs more churches planted and more mercy ministry. And as an Austin church with over 1300 members and an annual ministry budget of over 3.7 million, we are a wealthy church with big barns. To whom much is given, much will be required, Jesus says later in Luke chapter 12. The nature of this greed disease is you see it out there, but you really don't see it in here. Juliet Shore, economist and sociology professor at Boston College, has studied extensively Americans' relationship with money. In her book, The Overspent American, Here's one conclusion she draws from her studies. Only one-third of American households making more than $100,000 per year agree with this statement. I can afford to buy everything I really need. So, with over 70% of today's world living, less, over 70% of today living in this world living on less than $10 a day, 66% of the wealthiest people in the wealthiest nation ever in the world think we're just scraping by. Another symptom of money sickness is an inward orientation. Verses 17 and following, the rich man, quote, thought to himself, what shall I do for I have nowhere to store my crops? I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. He refers to himself 13 times in just three verses. He's speaking only to himself because he has no one else in his life to speak to. He has a self-orientation rather than an other orientation, an accumulation mindset rather than a sharing mindset. He sees himself as a depository rather than a conduit of blessing others. Friends, in Christ, God blesses us to be a blessing to others. And then verse 20, God says, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then, who will get what you've prepared for yourself? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself. You see, the problem is not money itself. Money, in and of itself, is a good thing. The problem is it's the direction you allow it to go in your life, laying up for yourself, inward instead of outward. God is not against acquiring or possessing wealth. His word never condemns the great wealth of Abraham, Job, or Solomon. God wants his people living in every kind of neighborhood. But Jesus says the more we fix our lives on money to make us happy, the less happy we'll be. Jesus says money is like salt water. When you look at it, when you look to it to satisfy you, the more you drink, the thirstier you'll become. Take John D. Rockefeller, the founder of Standard Oil, and in the early 1900s, America's first billionaire. Imagine being a billionaire in the 1900s, or any (laughs) time. When a reporter asked him, how much money is enough? He replied, just a little bit more. And then another symptom, verse 22, do not be anxious about your life. The Greek word for anxious here is maritzo, the same word for cares that choke out fruitfulness in our parable from last week. Divided allegiance and multiple loves in our lives. Create an anxiety that choke out the growth of God's word, which he intends to be our main thing, what is primary in our life. Jesus goes on to describe how God cares for the birds and the flowers as emblems of how he cares for us. And so we need not be anxious. God's the provider for birds and he's the beautifier of flowers. And yet how easily we fall into the disease by being an oversaver or an overspender. An oversaver because we're looking for money to be our security or our safety net, or by being an overspender because we're looking for money to make us more beautiful. As oversavers or overspenders, we displace God from the rightful place in our lives we need to ask ourselves, am I storing up money as a means of control in an uncontrollable world? Or to be safe in a dangerous world? Or to purchase a beauty that won't really last? Or to be accepted by all the right people? Years ago, during a discussion on money in our Young Professionals Sunday School class up in Dallas, my hardworking friend shared that his vocational goal was to become independently wealthy. Our teacher wisely replied, independent from whom? Friends, God wants us to live in a posture of dependence upon him for our security and our sense of worth and our value. And so if you're feeling distant from God this morning, could it be that you haven't put yourself in a place where you're really dependent upon him, particularly dependent upon him for money. Every Sunday in our Eucharist liturgy, we say together with our words, lift up your hearts. We lift them up into the Lord. And yet do we A good test to see where you're really lifting up your heart is to look at where and on what you spend your money most effortlessly. That may be where you're looking for your safety, beauty, value, or acceptance. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also, Jesus says. He says if you're anxious about money, you resent those who have it, you're living just to get it, if you can't give it away sacrificially, then you have a money sickness, looking to it to be your security, your beauty, your value, to give you what only God can give you. When we look at it that way, we realize a lot of us struggle with this disease. I know I do. Number two, the cure. Having heard all about the disease, we need to hear about the cure. And it's twofold at least. First, experience God's grace in Jesus Christ. Second Corinthians chapter eight, a little bit before our New Testament reading, begins this way, where Paul says to the church, "See that you excel in this grace of giving. He's wanting them to give." And then he goes on, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And then chapter 9, Each must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. Paul describes here beautifully the first place to go for a cure for money sickness come and dwell on and experience God's lavish grace in Christ. He became poor to make us rich. While we were yet sinners, God has given you his ultimate treasure, his son. And on the cross, Jesus liquidated everything for us to make us rich. Knowing and experiencing how you're treasured by God through this lavish grace will give you an inner wealth. And then your money won't be your security or your beauty or your value. It'll just be money. Just something that you can turn and give grace to another that can help the needs of your neighbor. Knowing and experiencing the lavish grace of God in Christ gives you an inner peace that enables a place of money health for you. Each of us has something at the center of our soul that is my precious. Every every such treasure except Jesus will demand your death to purchase it. But Jesus is the only treasure who's already died to purchase you, that you might have life that's abundant, abundantly blessed for you and in order to be an abundantly abundant blessing to others and now the second fold part of the cure the spiritual discipline of giving our context for our parable is ancient israel where the Mosaic law prescribed that a part of worship included giving a 10% tithe to the temple, the Old Testament church, so to speak. Please allow me this morning to give you a personal testimony on this point. For the first several years of our marriage, Drew and I were dinks. You know what dinks are? Dual income, no kids. I was a young lawyer with a big Dallas firm downtown. She was a private banker with a big downtown Dallas bank with law firms as her clients. Together for our age, we were prosperous. And yet there always seemed to be too much month at the end of the money. Then we took a course at our church that taught us what the Bible says about money particularly Malachi chapter three, where God says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, that I will not, if I will not open the doors of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Now, I'm not aware of any other place in scripture where God says, test me. And so we began to, not because we felt like it and certainly not perfectly or always faithfully, but as a commitment, we began tithing 10% of our regular income. Eventually, reluctantly, we made a special pledge to a capital campaign at church, even though we really, really couldn't see how we would meet it. Again, not perfectly, or always faithfully, we've continued this practice for 30 years. And I'm here to tell you, by God's grace, He's delighted and surprised us by enabling us to meet those special commitments in unexpected ways. And He's shown us again and again that He's able to do much more with the 90% left over than we were ever able to do with the 100% When we were in control. Sure, we've had financial struggles along the way, but the blessings he pours out aren't always financial. But in the process of this spiritual discipline of giving, he has made himself more and more real to us and shown us that he knows our address. And so, I'll ask you the question that we that got us started on this journey. Do you control your money, or does your money control you? This rich fool thought he was the owner of his money, but he learned too late that he was owned by it. He thought he was in control, but he wasn't. Jesus is the rich, wise one. Our elder brother, who with his inheritance is abundantly generous to his adopted family. He tithes 100% of his blood and liquidates all for our wealth. Jesus is not calling us to do anything in giving that he has not already done and much, much more. We spend all sorts of time, don't we? Effort, resources on our physical health, diets, supplements, and especially exercise. Are you employing the exercise God urges for your money health? The disciplined exercise of giving is a means of not only living a spiritually healthy life, but also preparing for a good and peaceful death. Now, what do I mean by that? It's because in death, we will relinquish all and eventually everything, our possessions and all of our lives will return to their owner, our creator and our savior. In 1955, when he left to be a missionary to the Alca tribes of Ecuador, where he would eventually be martyred, Jim Elliot famously said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Jesus' parable here is a corollary. He is a fool who grasps what he cannot keep so that he loses what he could gain. Or to put it another way, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven because a hearse has no trailer hitch for a U-Haul. We're not requesting here in the leadership at All Saints that you participate in our capital campaign for our fiscal benefit, but for your spiritual benefit. The amount, as we've already heard this morning, is between you and the one who owns it all anyway, to whom it will all one day return. All Saints, many of you know, was founded in 2003. Our first capital campaign was 10 years later, 2013. This capital campaign is only our second in the life of the church. As of Friday, we had 40% participation from our member households. Representing your pastors and leadership, we are urging all our members to, to, to participate in this infrequent but important spiritual exercise of special sacrificial giving. That your faith might be stretched and encouraged as you see how the Lord provides through you in even surprising ways. Would you join me in prayer? Father in heaven, we thank you that you have abundantly lavishly given to us yourself. We thank you that while yet sinners, you have died for us, that we might live to be a blessing to others. Lord, help us individually and as All Saints Church, when we breathe our last, to one day be able to say nothing in our hands we bring, simply to the cross we cling. May it be so in our lives today. We pray in the strong and precious name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.